Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's just about two months shy of 10 years since I last had the privilege of preaching here at Good Shepherd, and I have to tell you, it's really great to be back with you again, even though I, I do regret that it's because of situations going on here with Pastor Alex's uh, health concerns and Pastor Alice having to minister to her campus ministry flock after that tragic death of a student there. Uh, we will rightfully lift them up in our prayers today. But 10 years down the road, and you know, although I still look like I'm 39, <laughs> okay, 49, I, I have indeed grown older. And, and uh, I find that as I get older, I also get a little wearier. And I'm not talking here about a greater physical weariness, although that's happening too, but rather a kind of weariness in my soul. I am weary of the constant news reports we are getting, such as the mass killings in California, the ongoing war in Ukraine, the uh, the murder of a young black man by five policemen, the constant lies coming out of the mouths of politicians. That is the typical news on a typical January day in Ohio. Yet perhaps the greatest news of all is that this was no news. That is, it's all becoming rather normal. What is normal for you these days? What will be normal for your children or your children's children? The gospel reading today is what we call the Beatitudes or the blessings. In it, with just 12 short verses, Jesus completely turns upside down what we understand to be normal. Normal in the kingdom of heaven, declares Jesus, is to be poor in spirit, to be so devoid of hope in this world or in your own self that all you can do is hope in God. Normal, as far as Jesus is concerned, is to mourn for this world's condition, a world that seeks to save itself through power and materialism. It is the meek who are normal in God's kingdom, the ones who suffer injustice, having no, because having no power, they can only wait to inherit their blessing as a gift. Ultimately, from Jesus, the one who willingly gave up all power in dying, and yet in dying conquered the world. Normal, according to Jesus, is to long so much for righteousness, for God making things right again, that you can't stop 
help hungering for his grace. Even though you know it's already been given to you. Even though you get little tastes of it in bread and wine. These four things, poverty of spirit, mournful hearts, meekness, and hunger for God's righteousness, well, they're, they're not entrance requirements for the kingdom of God, but they do describe the nature of God's people. People who have no hope, except in the fact that the coming of God's kingdom will be a blessing because when God reigns, all things will be made right. Furthermore, proclaims Jesus, normal is being merciful in a world that says, don't get mad, get even. Being merciful is seeking to heal all that is wrong in the world and remove those things from life that keep life from being as God intends, like you know, poverty, hunger, disease. Normal is surrendering your heart to God so that God can reign in it and thereby purify it so that you can indeed be godly in this world. In God's kingdom, normalcy has to do with making peace, working for the wholeness of a world that's so broken. And ultimately, normalcy can mean suffering rejection and persecution on behalf of Jesus, which is to say, having fellowship with the one who gave up everything on a cross so that we might have everything with him. What Jesus is telling us is that what is normal in God's kingdom is just the opposite of what the world believes to be normal with all its tempting lies about the gods of money and sex and power. Jesus lays out for us, therefore, a vision of life in God's kingdom. And in so doing, he calls us to look at what the world is calling normal. And he's asking us, whose definition of normal are you going to believe? Now, I must say there are months of sermons in these Beatitudes, but considering all the news reports and in light of all the hate and the violence around us, let us just concentrate on one of them this morning, okay? Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. What is peace? Is peace just the absence of war? Israelis and Palestinians alleged that they are trying to sort out their decades of hatred and warfare. And yet in their struggle for peace, neither side will stop retaliating as we saw just again this past week. It is their version of normal. Russia and Ukraine allege that they're trying to find a way out of the quagmire of their ongoing war. 
but the way out certainly is not being found with increased missile and drone attacks, is it? If you listen to their rhetoric, you'll hear that their defining peace is the absence of war. But is that all that peace entails? Do you know what the Old Testament Hebrew word is for peace? Anyone? What is the word for peace in Hebrew? Shalom. Shalom. Very good. Shalom means not merely the absence of war, but the presence of wholeness for both persons and society. Shalom, therefore, also entails the absence of disease and the presence of political and economic justice. It encompasses enemies not only laying down their weapons, but enemies forgiving one another. So shalom is all of life restored to God's original intentions for creation. And those intentions, the Bible tells us, are that God created the world with unity and order and purpose. Where humans were created in the very image of God and made for life in community both with God and with other humans, not to mention the rest of the created order. That is peace, according to scripture. I should note that in his beatitude, Jesus calls us to not merely love peace, but to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, he said, not the peace lovers. Back in Jesus' day, the Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome, was said to be a gift of order and security and prosperity that was guaranteed by the emperor as the commander of Rome's military. But back then, according to the esteemed professor, Professor Warren Carter, most Romans agreed that, quote, Spreading peace meant subjecting other peoples to Roman dominion, the proud conviction that Rome had been vested with the mission of imposing its laws and its way of life on the rest of the world, end quote. So I ask you, uh, how do you think the shalom of God differs from Rome's peace? How do you think it differs from America's? How does one make peace? You know, I remember seeing a news clip about aviation workers out in California cheering when the Air Force announced that it would be ordering $16 billion of McDonnell Douglas cargo planes. Now, I think they were cheering for their pocketbooks, yeah? Whereas the military leaders cheered because they could now buy the peacekeeping hardware that they desired. Do you think you can buy peace? At the time those plane purchases were being announced, Congress was hard at work dismantling many social welfare programs, programs that cost a pittance of what we pay on mili- for military hardware and certainly some of it needed dismantling. 
but I saw the results of that disassembly every week as the poor and the working poor came to my church door asking for help to get food. Can we ever have peace without addressing the needs of the poor? There are those who maintain that we must protect ourselves from our enemies and that we must not allow ourselves to be taken advantage of by slackers. And I understand that. I sympathize with that. And I admit that it sounds good to me when I hear of yet more atrocities being committed by mercenaries in Ukraine or I'm confronted by yet another panhandler on the street in downtown Cincinnati or over the Rhine. And yet Jesus reached out to the oppressed and the downtrodden and the poor. And he commanded, love your enemies. He even prayed for them while he was being rejected on the cross. It's that cross, you see, that keeps haunting me. It is a sign, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in The Cost of Discipleship, that disciples keep peace by choosing to endure suffering themselves rather than inflicted on others. They maintain fellowship where others would break it off. They renounce all self-assertion and quietly suffer in the face of hatred and wrong. And in so doing, they overcome evil with good and establish the peace of God in the midst of a world of hate and warfare. It's that cross. It shows us that the only real peace is the one that is wrapped up in Jesus' violent death in which God redeemed the world. Or as St. Paul would put it in Romans 5 verse 10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, Jesus. While we were enemies. Do you see? God's love of the enemy discloses how deeply peace is rooted in who God is. The cross of Jesus is God's resolve to make peace once and for all. On the cross, it is the very God of peace who suffered with and for a sinful world so that all of creation might enjoy the loving community, the shalom, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In healing our broken relationship with God, God heals our relationships with one another, which then binds us to our enemies and to the poor that the world would just as soon forget about. Those who would be peacemakers rather than merely peace lovers, carry the cross of Jesus. For it was on his cross that peace was made. And in that way, they become children of God. Children of God along with the only Son of God. 
How do we make peace? Well, individually, we may have little influence on the world and its definition of normal. Nevertheless, Jesus calls us to live in peace according to his definition of normal. How do we make peace? You know, at the end of our worship today, the minister will say something like, go in peace, follow in the way of Jesus. And we'll smile and we'll walk out the door just like on other days. But you know, that admonition is absolutely meaningless unless we live the peace that God won for us in Jesus Christ. So perhaps you had an argument with your spouse or your kids on the way to church this morning and you spent the entire trip yelling at one another and rehashing all the things that the others did this week to, to make the, your, your week uh, crazy and all the reasons why everyone else is a pain in the neck. And then you came here for this little moment of peace and on the way home you'll just start it all up again. Dear friends, that is not peace. But what if you use the ride home today to talk about how sorry you are, how sorry you are for all the pain that you caused or experienced this week? And what if you asked for forgiveness from those that you wronged and you forgave those who wronged you? Doing so with your eyes upon Jesus who died for us, his enemies. Would you not then be peacemakers? Hmm? And how might we seek shalom for our nation? You know, we've tried war. What if we tried forgiveness for once? And I realize that this will sound naive to many people, but you know, it all hinges upon what you define as normal. Tell me, how's the world's normal working for this nation and for you? There actually was some real news on TV a while back. A reporter was interviewing a mother whose son had been killed in a drive-by shooting. How do you feel about the killer being caught? The reporter asked. Well, I'm a Baptist, the woman said, so I have to forgive him. How would you say that woman defined normal? What is peace? Jesus is our peace. And if you are soul weary like I am, you will gather up at this table and eat his meal of peace because you hunger for the final peace that God intends for all creation. But if we hunger for the peace of God's kingdom to come, then let us live as God's children in the peace that is ours now through Jesus Christ. Because my dear friends, that is peace and that is what is normal for Christians to do. Amen.